0: Amen. All right. Hey, we are once again our study world religions cults and the occult. And if you're paying attention like john is we've got a new number. So the new number means what? New topic and that's right. We are on the next one and that is jehovah's what? Witnesses who is gonna witness to the witness? Well, hopefully we are when we get done with this study and you don't even have to wait that long Hopefully you witness to him even now and uh, we're gonna take a look at that topic and go ahead and turn there in your workbook Because we're in there tonight if you can believe that uh, I tell you what, two blessings in one. And uh, but go ahead and turn your workbook. If you don't have a workbook, we should have a couple more still there in the back. And if we run out of the workbooks, there should be at least the front page which will be on tonight in the back. And uh, anybody need a workbook? Raise your hand, raise your hand, get a hand, the other hand, the other okay. We're apparently all set except for Miranda. She needs a workbook. There in the chair in the back there. But as you turn their lesson number seven, at least according to this, but it's number nine for us. For those of you hooked on weird chronology. Uh, let's go ahead and begin a review. Okay, what are we talking about this stuff? And and Jehovah's Witnesses, what's wrong with them? Well, as we're going to see once again, they fi- fit the description of a what? Cult. cult, as you can read there. And this is it. Remember the standard evangelical definition of a Christian cult. Again, these are pseudo-Christian groups. They claim to be Christians, but they're what? Pseudo means fake, false. They're not. Okay, and that's what we saw before in the scripture last week. If you're here for the video on Mormonism, uh, the God Makers Two that's what would happen in the last days they would secretly introduce their heresies uh, in the church okay and that's what these guys try to do it's a christian cult and it's any guy a person entity is a christian cult who deviates from the biblical christianity and fundamental doctrines of the faith and once again here is your five ways they get off target every single time you get off target on these you're in a cult like a lump it or not this is reality source of authority what's that mean the Bible. Anybody who goes outside the Bible, guess where you're headed? You keep it up, you're going to end up in a what? In a cult. Anybody comes up to you and say, they are the sole source of truth. They are the only ones who could rightly interpret the Word of God. Where are you headed? You're going in the cult, and that person's probably going to end up being a cult leader. Source of authority, the nature of God, including the Trinity, okay, the personal work of Jesus Christ. Okay, The nature of man and the means of salvation. Those are five signs you're getting hooked up, unfortunately, in a cult. In many cases, cults use the same words as true Christians, but radically redefine them. Once again, we finished out with 10 studies on Mormonism. Boy, do they ever do Christianese, but they got whole different meanings. Same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Oh, they'll come knocking at your door, just like the Mormons, and say, Oh, hey, we believe in Jesus, too. Mm, what? Who's your Jesus? Your Jesus is totally different. And we're going to get into this a lot, great detail later. Uh, they think he's just the Archangel Michael, a created being. Like, what? It's just, but that's a sign you're in a cult when you get off one of these five things. Now, I like what he did here, right? Because we've been dealing with, uh, we're in the middle of the section, world religions, now we're in cults, and then we're going to end up, Lord willing, in the occult. He reminds us once again, why are we doing this? A time to check our heart. Because we all know the reason why you're here is so we can whoop up on them and demonstrate how intellectually superior we are over them and smash them. When... I'm glad you're here, Bobby. We'll fix you. And pay attention to this section especially. Uh, no, we're there to witness to them, not to win a debate. I pray this every single time, basically. We're there to lead them to Christ. Right? And he says this, now, when studying the, the cults, we may be tempted to scoff at some of the seemingly ludicrous beliefs. And frankly, some of them aren't seeming. They are. Okay, let me give you just a little teaser where we're headed. And this is Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Charles Russell, and this is who we're going to spend most of the time on tonight. There's two big major founders, Charles Taze Russell, who invented the taser. No, he didn't, but now you're paying attention, a little teaching technique, right? Okay, Charles Taze Russell and uh, Judge Rutherford okay we'll be probably the topic of most of next week. OK, but tonight is Charles Russell. But anyway, so Charles Russell, the guy that founded them, believed that he was, quote, the sole channel of communication between God and men. And he even referred to himself as God's mouthpiece. Now, the first time he made a declaration that to this group of people, what should that group of people have done? Flee, run, right? Get out of there. OK, because basically Jehovah's Witnesses, the founding was a Bible study and it's basically Bible study gone bad. It is really what it is. Woo! Right? Nothing wrong with studying the Bible. Nothing wrong with the group of believers. Even studying prophecy. That's a good thing. They went off the rails. Bible study going bad. Now, he also taught, and again, this is just some of the aberrations, and we'll get into this in greater detail later, but just give a little tease of where we're headed, of what these people actually believe and taught, their founders, and even today. He taught that the churches of Christendom were started by, and I'm not making this up, quote, bald-headed men with smoke on their brains. Yeah, and he thought that if a dog's head... I'm going to make this up. He thought that if a dog's head were shaped like a man's, then the dog could think like a man. Somebody's There's some smoke going on somewhere. I don't think it's in the brain. It's- Woo. De- and that's right, he sold... That's right, dun, da, 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 for the benefit of one and all, Miracle Wheat. Yeah, anyway, here it is. Uh, Charles Hayes Russell... Uh, was found guilty of selling phony miracle wheat. That's right. Through his publication, Zion's Watchtower, which case later became the Watchtower, and and Herald of Christ's presence, Russell claimed that his miracle wheat was superior to regular wheat and would grow five times as fast as any other brand. When the miracle wheat was investigated by government agencies, it was found to be slightly actually inferior to standard wheat. So people getting ripped off. On both ways. But this is just some of the shady background. Shady weird beliefs. We're just getting started. Okay. And it's, it's weird. You, you know. It's, uh, you're, you're, are you serious? You're selling miracle wheat. It sounds like a snake oil salesman. On top of a false teacher. Well that's really what you're dealing with here. Okay. And we're going to see some even immoral behavior tonight. But that's what he says. Listen. When you're studying. You're going to come across some weird stuff. And it's going to be tempting to go. <laughs> and point it out. Now you need to. I'd say point some of this stuff out. If that's the route you're going. But do it in love do it in love you don't have to sit there and do that but but you got to understand that now he says we must remember that the average cultist that we will uh, encounter mormons jehovah's witnesses you name it okay it's not a false teacher per se they believe in false teachings okay they're probably following a false teacher or there might be some that are teaching it so they are false teachers so uh, this his verbiage here is a little, sh- little shaky in my opinion but they are the point is they're deceived by who they're being deceived by Satan. this is someone that God loves is your first blank there This is somebody that God loves someone for whom Christ died and this is my pitch You hear me say this all the time who's gonna witness to the Mormon who's gonna witness to the Jehovah's Witness, right? Because what do we typically I am a Christian slam This is somebody that needs Christ Now they're coming to you and that's the challenge. They think they're already saved. They think you're not saved But slamming the door don't fix it Slamming the door doesn't help them slamming the door doesn't show the love of Christ. And why do you think God is spending all this time with us here at sunrise, investing heavily in us? All this information. It's not just for our intellectual uh, titillation, it is to be used, okay? But that's what he says. Now, and here's some verses Titus 3 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior uh, and his love for only the church appeared. Oh, I'm sorry. God loves mankind. He doesn't love sin, but he loves mankind. We're creating his image, okay? For God so loved the world, John 3 16. Love the who? The world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us this while we were still what? We were perfect. We finally got in line. That's when God's love kicked. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Revelation 1, 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And Paul's example is Romans chapter 9, 1 through 3. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I, 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 I could wish that I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen. He's talking about the Jews, according to the flesh. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their what? Romans 10, what? salvation. Paul, you could hear the anguish. You could feel the anguish. He's so desperately says, listen, I almost would say, hey, I'll take the hit for you. Take away my salvation. I just want you to be saved. Now, you can't take away your salvation. He's using hyperbole. He's expressing his emotions. That's not going to happen. But the point is, he is seriously, desperately wishing, hoping, praying, as he says, becoming all things to all men so that these people might be saved. That should be our heart when we witness, even to the witness, okay? That that's that's our men. now. Let's get into the history. Where did these guys come from? What are they up to? Okay? How did it all get started? Well, let's take a look the Jehovah's Witnesses began by a guy named who? Charles Taze Russell 1852 the 1916 when he passed away and in 1872 Okay, he had a great difficulty in dealing with the doctrine of what what he choke on The eternal hell. Okay, and we're gonna see you know why Because he got hooked up with some other folks, which is in the next chapter, I believe. Seventh-day Adventists. And they started getting into his brain. right? But we'll get into that in just a little bit. And in his studies, he came to deny not only eternal punishment, but also the Trinity. Is your next blank there? The Trinity and the deity of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-oh. Man, he just went south real fast. Yep, You get on your own. You think you're the mouthpiece of God. Then you get hooked up with other false teachers. Guess what? Not going to be good. And that's what happened with this guy. But let's take a look. It started out in Pennsylvania. okay? In Pennsylvania, they're not too far from there now. okay? And it started out as a Bible class. Is there anything wrong with going to a Bible class? Please say no, because we're at one. Yeah, that's a good thing, right? Okay. And it was led by this guy, Charles Taze Russell. Now, he named his group originally, listen, the Millennial Dawn Bible Study. did not that sound majestic? Well, it sounded good anyway. And he began writing a series of books, which he called... The Millennial Dawn. Well, I guess it works with the Bible study, Bobby. You know, two birds with one stone. Anyway, which stretched into six volumes before his death and contained much of the theology that the Jehovah's Witnesses hold. So that's where it comes from. This guy's uh, Bible study, and then he wrote volumes off of this Bible study, six of them. Almost had a seventh one done, and the guy, the, his successor, finished it up. All right. Anyway, so after his death in 1916, his successor, a guy named Rutherford, uh, Judge Rutherford, uh, again, we'll talk about him Lord than next week. He wrote the seventh and final volume, which was called, of the Millennial Dawn series, called The Finished Mystery. And that was the year after he died, uh, Ch- uh, Charles Taze Russell in 1916. He finished this, Rutherford, in 1917, right? So now you got seven. It's all complete, right? The Watchtower Bible and Tract Society was founded in 1886 and quickly became the vehicle of which, uh, how they disseminated this Millennial Dawn study literally movement and begin distributing that to other people okay now the group was originally more called not jehovah's witnesses we know today they were more called the russellites can anybody guess why they were called the russellites well yeah after the teacher right okay you guys are on the ball until 1931 when due to a split in the organization it was renamed jehovah's witnesses now, we'll see probably later the reason why a push for the name change wasn't just because of a split, but it was also because uh, Mr. Rutherford didn't like. He was the new guy, the head cheese. And he even built a house for Abraham to come and live in. And... Oh, yeah, we'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. And, uh, but he didn't like it, so uh, you know he don't want those guys calling Russellites because he's now the guy in charge. So I think there's a little bit more going on there. But they changed their name eventually. They were the Russellites. Now it's Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Now, again, what, what do they believe? Let me just give you a little thing, how they're off. We're going to get into this in way greater detail, but just to give a little teaser. Uh, obviously, they don't hold to Orthodox Christianity. As we saw, they miss it in the five marks of a cult. Such things as they believe Jesus is the mar- uh, Michael the archangel, which, of course, contradicts Scripture. We'll get into later about Jesus being uh, God, John one 14-14. And uh eight, five, eight, and ten thirty, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that salvation is obtained by works, a combination of faith, good works, and obedience, which is contrary to the scripture. Once again, Ephesians two, eight, nine, Titus three, five. They reject the Trinity. Right? Well, then how do you explain Genesis one? Let us make man in our image. The very first chapter in the Bible. Who's us? And in the Hebrew it's Elohim, which is plural. You're going to have to define that one for me. If you don't believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, explain that one. Right? Who is it Jesus' baptism? We'll get into this later. Right? God the Father talking from the sky, God the Son in the water, and then God the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. How do you explain that one if you don't believe in the Trinity? Right? So we'll see that there. So they deny that, believing that Jesus is just a created being, and they believe the Holy Spirit is essentially the inanimate power of God. If it's just an inanimate power, then why does the Bible say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit doesn't have a person, it's like the Father and the Son, then how do you grieve electricity? <laughs> I'm sorry, to pay the bill. No, that's the electric company. You don't, you know, no, excuse me, you grieve, the, the, anyway, so they, they mess up on that one too. They reject Christ's substitutionary atonement, okay? And on and on goes, we'll get into that later. But they claim, why, uh, and how do they justify this? Well, they claim that the church has corrupted the Bible over centuries. Who's that sound like? Mormons, Joseph Smith, exact same thing, right? I'm the only one who could get it right. I'm here to lead the way back. Everybody else is wrong. That's a sign you're in a what? You're a cult, and the person saying that is going to become a cult leader. right? It's the same thing that's going on here. And, of course, they did it for us, and they're still doing it today because they keep changing it right? And that's with what they have and we're going to have probably a whole study just on this Lord one and that's the new world translation, right? Okay? And it's not even a translation, you know what it is? It's a perversion. It's not even a translation of the Bible. We'll get into this in greater detail. They literally insert things that are not even there. They literally hack it up, chop it up and make it fit their false teachings. I'm not making it up. And you'll be comforted to know that one of the guys who was on the committee, major guys making the New World Order translation, he was trained as a short order cook in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, they have no, you yeah, know, I'm not, smoke on the brain ain't, we're just getting started, folks. There's all kinds of weird things going on here, unfortunately. Right? Anyway, so that's what they did. And, uh, but they altered the text to fit their false teachings, okay? And they keep going through, just like Mormons, 4,000, nearly 4,000 changes in the Book of Mormon. And yet it's supposed to be the most perfect book uh, on the planet. Well, these guys do the same thing with their new world order. They just keep changing it. We keep pointing out, hey, that contradicts that. Okay. And then they hide it. They hide the new. They take away, get all the old ones and only come out with the new ones. And people just, next generation doesn't even know. But you know what the neat thing is? Including all their false prophecies, which again, we'll probably have a whole study on that too. Uh, They they take them back and the, the people surrender them. But guess who? Some people who get saved, they pull them out of the closet. And they go, uh-oh, we still got a copy of how you said this. And, right. So we'll get into that later. Now, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society is uh, the only body in the cult that claims authority to interpret Scripture. Now, it started out with Mr. Russell, but he passed away. Then it goes to Mr. Rutherford. Well, he passed away. And then basically they went from going following a guy to now it's the committee, the, the, these guys on the Watchtower Society. They are the ones who have the sole source of truth. And that's basically where they get most of the stuff that they go through, which is printed material from the watchtower uh, as well, as far as how to, quote, witness to us. It's, here's, follow the, you know, and that's why with the Mormons, sometimes, a lot of times, it's actually easy to get them off track because they are trained to follow this trail, right? And then when you try to go with them in the scripture, they don't know what to do and because that's not, they're, they're getting it from some other source, all right? But let's continue on. Uh, and uh, independent thinking is strongly discouraged, right? Now, that's another sign you're in a what? You're in a cult, right? Don't, and same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses, right? They started out with Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and then pretty much now it's just the apostles, the council of 12. Remember all that stuff? Well, it's the same thing. They start out with Charles Hayes Russell, Judge Rutherford, and now it's the Watchtower Society, this body of men who will now tell us everything we need to know, and they'll never steer us wrong. Yeah, whatever. Same kind of scenario, and it's the same issue that you're dealing with uh, a cult. But independent thinking is strongly discouraged, because if that's not what they say, then don't you even think about uh, uh, believing them, All right. Now, that's in direct opposition of the Bible. What's the Bible say? Individual. What do you do? Study to... Show yourself approved unto God, the Word of God, right? So you study. We are commanded individually to get in there ourselves and study the Word of God. Number two, what did Paul say to the Bereans? These people were horrible. They they disrespected the authority of everybody. No, they were commended, right? Because they didn't even take the Apostle Paul's word for it. They went back to the Bible to make sure what he was saying lined up uh, with the Word, okay? Now, let's get into this uh, Russell guy. Uh, again, he, he, and kind of interesting, not saying it's all creepy and satanic or anything, but he died on Halloween, October 31st, 1916. And it wasn't just, uh, this giant volume set that he wrote, right? Uh, he wrote many articles, books, tracts, pamphlets, sermons, totaling uh, 50,000 printed pages. Now, again, this is huge because he's back in the late 1800s, right? Did you guys know that there used to be a society that existed in the days before the internet? The days before the computer. Did you know a society really existed? It's kind of like the days of Noah. What was that like? Yeah, in the pre-flood days. You know, it's a pre-computer. It's pre-internet. Yeah, there was life before, right? And they had these weird uh, communication devices. And uh, you guys remember that? And and you had to pick it up, and and you put the one thing to your ear, and the other thing, you had to use your finger and go... Remember those things? I grew up with one of those. It made that noise, right? Yeah, it's called a telephone, right? Uh, but anyway, so this is what's amazing, what this guy did and how he disseminated, unfortunately, this false teaching was absolutely amazing. He went worldwide, and this is serious low tech. Right? For him to have was what we're going to see. The outreach he did on a global basis, phenomenal. The guy was, if anything, a genius when it came how to disseminate, unfortunately, though, False teaching. Too bad it wasn't true. Uh, Anyway, it was not only his Bible series, "The Millennial Dawn," which, by the way, changed to the Studies in the Scriptures. They changed the name on it there. Uh, Nearly back in his day, twenty million copies were printed and distributed around the world in several languages in his lifetime. Twenty million copies. Right? No computer, no internet. You could. There's no such thing as Snapchat. You can't. You can't even like it and share it. On Facebook. I mean, this is mass out. Oh, wow. This guy really, unfortunately, unfortunately got out there. Uh, again, the seventh volume was finished by uh, Rutherford. And, uh, but after uh, uh, that, they continued to, to disseminate. And uh, they had the split as many as three quarters of approximately 50,000 of the Jehovah's Witnesses split okay, between the two leaders. And uh, those who maintained fellowship with the Watchtower, that's when, again, they adopted their name. In 1931, Jehovah's Witnesses. All right, But Charles Hayes Russell, he was born to Scottish parents. He actually grew up in, you ready, John? Pennsylvania. Oh, Pittsburgh on top too, buddy. He's even buried in there. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, he was the second of five kids of whom two survived into adulthood. His mother died when he was nine years old. Now listen again to his background. He lived for a time in Philadelphia before moving to Pittsburgh, as the prophet John has spoken, and where they became members of the Presbyterian Church. What? Yeah. So he went to church services now. And we all know going to a church services saves you. No, it doesn't. Right. But at least he was influenced. And my heart goes like, how did this guy get steered wrong? What did the church do wrong? How did this guy slip through the cracks and become such a huge, massive Global false teacher? Right. Because he was in an area where he could have really, truly gotten saved. But listen, uh, when Charles was in his early teens, his father made him partner of his Pittsburgh uh, clothing store. In fact, his dad had several of them. We'll get to that in a second. And by the age of 12, Russell was writing business contracts for customers and giving charge of some of his father's other clothing stores. So this guy, he's pretty responsible in a good aspect as a 12-year-old, right? Uh, And he's helping run his stores, writing contracts and all that stuff. At the age of 13, he leaves the Presbyterian Church to join the Congregational Church, right? So now he's moving off to another one. And in his youth, listen to this. In his youth, he was known to chalk Bible verses on fence boards, right? And on city sidewalks in an attempt to convert unbelievers. That was the early, for- pay attention, young whippersnappers. That's the early form of Facebook. It was called chalk. It was this little piece of thing, a stick-looking thing, right? And you didn't lick it because it was, right? Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> and so and he, so he, here he is he's in a church setting right not saying the presbyterian church and certainly the congregation church the best certainly not today right but back then it was i think a little bit better okay so he's in a quote church environment right and he's even into evangelism he wants and listen even back then when he's doing all the low tech form of facebook chalk right he particularly noted the punishment of hell awaiting the unfaithful so this is part of his chalk messages you know, don't go to hell, right? So early on, uh, he didn't doubt the existence uh, of hell. But guess what? He came in contact with more false teachers. And who are they? Seventh-day Adventists. Well, hey, they got to be Christians too. No, they're not. Okay, and we're going to get into that in great detail later. This one I call the cult that, that uh, sneaks in under the door. A lot of Christians think the Seventh-day Adventist is Christianity. No, they're not at all, okay? But a lot of people, oh, yeah, Mormons, yeah, we know they're wrong. Oh, yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses, woo wee smoke on the brain, smoke on the brain. Okay, uh, but Seventh-day Adventists, not, mm-mm, mm-mm. Man, wait till you hear what's going on with Ellen G. White. You thought uh, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young were racist? Whew. Let me give you a little teaser. Uh, her teachings were, and again, she could hear that, you know, she had a word from God. Another, so it was a lady false teacher. And uh, she believed that the uh, uh, black African races arose as a result of what she called amalgamation. You know what amalgamation is? People having uh, sex with animals. That's why there's black African people. Excuse me? Right? And you hide away her teaching, and you know what they call the Ellen White vault. They try to hide this stuff away. But again, people have copies, and it gets out today. So it's like, whew. Anyway, Anyway, so he gets in contact with these people, Right? And uh, Charles Hayes Russell, Seventh-day Adventist, and he begins to attend their so-called Bible study. And it wasn't long before he was determined that he could not, guess what, reconcile an eternal hell with the merciful God. It just doesn't fit. Well, get our study. Please don't go to hell. We dealt with it here at Sunrise. Why didn't he just get a copy? Oh, wait, that's right, Bobby. He already passed away. Okay, but anyway, or just read the Bible. That's what we were doing. Give me a break, right? Our study on the holiness of God. You don't understand the eternality of hell and the need for hell, the necessity of hell, the nature of hell, until you understand the holiness of God, right? And then once you get that, woo, boy, does that amplify God's love or what? We all deserve that place. Man, but he gives us his love instead. Man, that's amazing. Now, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, let me give you a little teaser. Uh, he, you know, uh, This is where Charles, Tussle, uh, raised, uh, Charles Taze Russell uh, got off track even more Okay, I wouldn't say it's the only source. Um, anytime you think that you're the sole voice, you're going down the tubes. Okay, but uh, there's somebody else, uh, even in the uh, politics today, that's a Seventh-day Adventist. His name is Ben Carson, who ran for president, right? Seventh-day Adventist. Everybody says, oh, he's a Christian. Wow, we should lump our vote in for him. Christian? I mean, just give you a little teaser of his Seventh-day Adventist belief. Well, first of all, he doesn't believe in hell. Why? Because that's Seventh-day Adventist false teaching, right? That's what influenced Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Ben Carson, that, and he also dismisses the rapture. And this is an interview. I'm going to read a quote. He says, quote, I don't see any evidence for that in the Bible. Direct quote from Carson about the rapture, right? He also does not believe in a hell, quote, I don't believe there is a physical place where people go and are tormented. No, I don't believe that. What Bible are you reading? Okay. And so the the interviewer says so to Carson. So if you're good, you go to heaven. And if you're bad, you just get annihilated. Pretty much, he says. First of all, no, you don't get annihilated, right? Because we saw that at the end of the millennial kingdom, a thousand years later, it says in the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are, which means they're still alive, still being tormented there after a thousand years, they didn't get annihilated, Oh, and it says, "And they'll be tor- tormented forever and ever and ever." How long's that? Okay, whatever. But this, back it up. He says, "So if you're good, you go to heaven." So, Mister Carson, with all due respect, are you trusting in your own works? Because he said pretty much. In fact, uh, Carson said he certainly hopes he's going to heaven. "Quote: I try to lead a life that would be consistent with the principles that God has set before us." Is that what you're trusting in? And again, very interesting. But that's, again, a little teaser. So these are the group of people, again, we'll get into later, Lord willing, in the next section, who Charles Taze Russell got in hooked up with, and he went even further south. Okay, now let's get back to that. So he's in there. Now, over the next two years, he became to question, because of his influence with the Seventh-day Adventist, many historic Christian doctrines and became convinced, that's right, the historic creeds betrayed true Christianity. At the same time, he adopted... Seventh-day Adventist teachings about the end times. Now, this is what's sad. Jehovah's Witnesses will talk about the end times. Is that a bad thing? No. Seventh-day Adventists really specialize in the the last days and Bible prophecy. Is that a bad thing? No. What's the problem? They're date setters, number one. And what's the Bible say? Nobody knows. I don't care how nifty you are at the calculator, how many times we are going to go through this, or your calculation, or as we're going to see with Charles Taze Russell, how many times you stared at the Pyramid of Giza... You do not know the end of the world. You don't know the time of the rapture and all that stuff, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. So that's the problem. And Seventh-day Adventists are very sneaky about it. They will advertise, even here in Vegas, if you paid attention to the billboards, prophecy coming to you, join us, free conference. It's all Seventh-day Adventists. They're very sneaky about it. They never once tell you who this is coming from. That's all it is. And then they get you to go to this conference. You're all hyped up. And then they got their own twist on it. Then they drop the bomb on you. And they say, Sunday worship is the mark of the beast. Don't go back to your church service. And that's how they seduce even so-called Christians to join them. So they use prophecy. Now, the problem with that is, guess what? You know what that does for the rest of us that teach prophecy like you're supposed to? Because one-third of the Bible deals directly or indirectly with prophecy? You got to hit it sometime. It puts a sour taste in people's mouths. Oh, you're like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, you're like those Seventh-day Adventists, those wacky theories and all that stuff. And it just, unfortunately, ruins it for... Faithful Bible teachers who do teach on prophecy. But anyway, so he gets in that. And once again, Seventh day Adventists as well as Jehovah's Witnesses are big time date setters. Okay? They believe he got into Seventh day Adventists and he, he jumped onto what they believe that the end times began in 1799, in case you didn't know. Right? And that Christ had returned invisibly, key word, you know why? Because we didn't see him, uh, invisibly in 1874. Right, and had been crowned king of heaven four years later. So pay attention to 1878. Yeah, whatever. Okay, And that all Christians who had already died would be resurrected before the end of 1878. And this is one of their big, big dates. Okay, 1914. Okay, And they still hold to that today. Although there are signs they're trying to tweak it because the generation is about to pass. Uh, 1914 would mark the end of the harvest period and usher in Armageddon. So right there, when it didn't come to pass, 1914, what should everybody have done, including the Seventh-day Adventists and any other people who set a date, anybody who sets a date for the rapture, the end time, whatever, and it doesn't come to pass? What's the initial need? First of all, you shouldn't fault them anyway, because the Bible says nobody knows. But if you fell for that, unfortunately, step two, if the date comes and passes, what do you do? Run. Don't listen. Don't go back. Even though they'll say, well, I'll tell you what. I got a new light. I, got, I had another dream. And my calculation, the Lord told me to tell you to put your calculator upside down. And, and have you ever been able to spell hello using the calculator upside down with seven? And then you use a three and... then
1: Yeah, whatever.
0: Okay, but that's what they do. And the same thing here. They get caught so many times, setting dates, Jehovah's Witnesses especially, and that's all they do. They get wrong, and people, they sell their stuff, they sell their property, it doesn't come. The watchtower has been given new light. What we really meant was, and people fought for it. But when it came and passed, even as back as when they first set it, the big date that they rally around, even in Charles Hayes, Russell's day, 1914, they should have ran they should have ran, but they didn't, okay? And, uh, and so basically what he did, he sold his five clothing stores that his dad gave him, five of them. So five business he sold, and literally he became a multimillionaire. I mean multi-millionaire in today's dollars, okay? And then, so he lived on that money, right? And he committed the, left, uh, the rest of his life to write and publishing uh, these messages. Uh, he worked with another Seventh-day Adventist at that time, uh, Nelson Barber, And in a periodical called Herald of the Morning. Now, when 1878 came and went without the prediction of the events, right? Because remember, Jesus was supposed to come back invisibly and then four years later be crowned as king. Well, that didn't happen either. This is even before 1914. He began to distance himself from the Seventh-day Adventists, right? But he kept it going uh, with his dates, right? He founded his own periodical called Zion's Watchtower, right? And at this time, he married a lady called Maria Frances Ackley, and uh, in an apparently celibate union that lasted until 1897, almost 20 years. So he married her, but apparently celibate, before ending in a very, very bitter divorce. But was he really so spiritual that he was, had to be celibate from his wife for almost 20 years? Uh, maybe he was celibate with her, but I don't know about the rest of the ladies. Let's take a look at that.
1: Charles Taze Russell was born in Allegheny, Pennsylvania in 1852. From age 11, he worked in the family clothing store. He became a successful businessman. At age 17, he came under the influence of the early Second Adventists, who were setting dates for the end. He soon broke ties with the Adventists and launched out on his own, publishing the magazine now known as The Watchtower. His following grew, but Trouble was brewing on the home front. In 1906, after a number of marital battles, Russell was divorced from his wife Maria. Instead of sharing his personal assets with her, he transferred them to the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which he totally controlled. The Proclaimers' book mentions this transfer in a tiny footnote, but we don't read the obvious there. Pastor Russell had cheated his wife. The Proclaimers' book makes the repeated point that Pastor Russell was not found guilty of adultery. This was true only because his wife did not bring charges of adultery against him. Instead, she accused him of immorality with a young girl who was residing in their home.
2: It was late in the evening, about 11 o'clock. He put his arms around her and kissed her. This was in the vestibule before they entered the hall and he called her his little wife but she said i am not your wife and he said i will call you daughter and a daughter has nearly all the privileges of a wife
1: and what other terms were used
2: then he said i am like a jellyfish i float around here and there i touch this one and that one and if she responds i take her to me and if not, I float on to others. And she wrote that out so that I could remember it for sure when I would speak to him about it. And he confessed that he had said those things.
1: Why would the Proclaimer's Book say that Maria Russell was seeking prominence for herself when in reality, the court stated, he says himself that she is a woman of perfect moral character and his own testimony is a strong confirmation of her allegations. The judgment described his behavior as cruel and barbarous treatment, adding, his course of conduct toward his wife evidenced such insistent egotism and self-praise that would necessarily render the life of any sensitive Christian woman a burden and make her condition intolerable.
0: Well, so much for being celibate. Hey, how many guys think that a guy says, I'm the sole voice of God, only I can rightly interpret the scripture. All of Christendom has it wrong. God hooked up a seven-day Adventist, became a date, set himself, and committed adultery and floated around like a jellyfish. Probably isn't a good guy to follow. Believe it or not, even after all this, his following grew, right? And uh, listen to this. Uh, He founded the Watchtower Society in 1881. Uh, He grew substantially. Again, there are soon 16 million of his books and booklets in print. Again, this is pre-all that stuff, major. And the guy, he's a multimillionaire. So, okay, he used that to disseminate, unfortunately, his false teaching and views of the end of the world. Right? He grew exponentially. Uh, Soon he's got followers all over northern and eastern states of the United States. He preached and wrote constantly. His sermons were printed in several thousand newspapers around the globe. And he became one of the, quote, famous preachers in the world at that time. false teacher it's too bad that we don't see any other false teachers today having a global following being disseminated learning to be a better you sow a seed to my ministry you can but yeah they're all over the place can you believe it's still happening today Right. Uh, he eventually moved to the headquarters to Brooklyn, New York, the Watchtower Society, and it remained there until recently. Now it is in uh, as in 2016 in Tuxedo Park, New York, so outside of New York City. And boy, did they make a killing off of that. I'm talking multi, multi. They had big, major real estate, still got a lot of real estate in uh, in New York City. And they sold that baby. They got cash coming out of their ears. Uh, 1903, newspapers began publishing his written sermons. They were syndicated worldwide to as many as 4,000 people, people reaching annually readership, 15 million people in, annually in the United States and Canada alone. Uh, his writings became, listen, the most widely distributed, privately produced English language works in all of the United States. And it is said that the entire body of his works were the third most circulated on earth after the Bible and the Chinese Almanac. This guy, a multimillionaire, if anything, was a genius in how to get his writings out there in the public. He used whatever form of media he could get in today. And that's a good thing. Do we we utilize the media to share the gospel? Yeah, 218 countries. Praise God. That's great. Unfortunately, he's a false teacher disseminating that. Okay, it's crazy. In 1912, Russell's writings had achieved, listen, a greater circulation, quote, than the combined circulation of the writings of all the preachers in all of North America. He was the big guy. He was everywhere. Okay, unfortunately, disseminating false teaching. Uh, he also produced a, a road show, right? It was called the Photo Drama of Creation. Dun, dun, dun. Now, listen, this was uh, in 1912. Okay, uh, now, the kids pay attention. This is before they had TV. <laughs> Let alone a tablet or a cell phone. They never heard of a selfie, right? Okay. They had a dog named Ralphie, but they didn't have a selfie. Okay, but anyway, so listen. This was before even TV. This was before even movies were taken off, right? Multi-millionaire, listen to what this guy did. He presented this thing. He created this thing. He paid for it. It's called The Photodrama Creation. It was an eight-hour religious film in four parts. It was incorporated in the synchronized sound, moving film, and color slides. And it costs the current value of today's value, seven almost two million dollars. Using this crazy advanced technology, in this photo drama that he'd travel around, it presented the seven creative days of Genesis. The problem was, uh, his dating was forty-nine thousand years, and it was all messed up and much other issues. So anyway, so he's investing heavily. He's getting it out there, doing whatever he can. Uh, he also believed that he was doing this because he was restoring, listen, he was restoring Christianity to the purity of the first century. How many times do you hear that one today? Oh, no, we're getting back. We're doing it the real way. We're doing it the authentic way. We're doing it the same way as the early church. We're doing it the Jewish way. We're doing it the Hebrew way. We're. Do- Can we just get back to the Bible? Right? It's just like Christians, we get bored and you want a new form of entertainment. Well, hey, look, I went and I wore a fair shawl. Woo. Well... Hey, look, I went and I worshiped on a Saturday. So what? Right? Hey, look, I went and I, did, I studied the Torah. Whoa, I got an Old Testament too. Right? Well, can I want to look at mine? <laughs> Woo, right? And they get sucked into that. But that's that same thing. He also said that there was a heavenly re- resurrection of 144,000 righteous. Well, what did you do after you got more than 144,000 people in your group? Yeah, we'll get to that later. Uh, He also taught, again, the Holy Spirit was not a person. He believed that Christ invisibly returned in 1874. He's been ruling from the heavens ever since then. He predicted a period known as the time of the Gentiles would end in 1914 and that Christ would take power of Earth's affairs at that time. And what unfortunately helped him out, at least for a little bit, is guess what broke out in 1914? World War 1. Oh boy. Here's this guy. Remember in, investing millions of dollars. He's all over the world in the newspapers. He created this photo drama thing the 1914. Oh, and then World War 1 breaks out. Boy, he seems like a genius for a while. Right? Uh July 28th, 1914, World War 1 break out. And uh, but guess what it came and passed? You know what should happen? False teacher kick him out. He's in print. I ain't ever buying that again. Call the ad or get that false teacher out of there. Shut. I ain't going to know some goofball photodrama. I don't care how much 3D things you got in there. But no, people keep going. Same thing today. How many times do people set days? It comes and goes, and what do they do? Well, he said he made a miscalculation. He's gonna now it's gonna happen then. And they do it a well, What? And don't you dare mock at the Jehovah's Witnesses for continuing to follow these false teachers if you're doing the same thing too. Stick with the Bible. Don't listen to date setters. Nobody knows. All right? Let's continue on. Now, where did he get some of his ideas to? So not only he's the centerpiece of God, only he can rightly in, uh, uh, interpret the scriptures. He's God's mouthpiece. He's hooked up with Seventh-day Adventists and false teaching that. And, and then he's got his own date setting thing. Well, he also got it from something called pyramidology. Yeah, this guy actually thought that he could find out the secrets in the Bible from the Egyptian Pyramid at Giza. I'm not making this up, right? It's called Pyramidology, and he believed it was, quote, the Bible in stone. Yeah. And if you understood the right measurements and the markings, the stairs, the inches, the measurements of the pyramid, you could unlock secrets of the end times in the Bible. Doesn't that sound like a show that History Channel would come out with, right? And those ancient astronauts with hair even weirder than mine uh, have their opinions on yeah, it's the same thing. And, and if you notice on the internet, some Christians get caught up in this, don't they? I've heard some Christians say, oh yeah, the Pyramid of Giza, there's secrets in there. Hello, they came from Jehovah's Witnesses. And he actually got it from three other guys, we'll get to that in a second. So he believed that certain texts prophesied the future, all based on these measurements of the Great Pyramid. Right? And the various ascending and descending passages uh, in there in, in the, the Pyramid of Giza represent the fall of man and the, and the provision of the Mosaic Law, the death of Christ, and the exaltation of saints in heaven. Right, And he believes that his dates in 1874, 1914, and 1948 was all found through the calculations of the Great Pyramid. Yeah, whatever. Okay? Now, believe it or not, this is what he taught. And we're going to listen to the audio of him teaching this about the Great Pyramid. Let's take a look at this.
2: Melchizedek is supposed to have been one of the shepherd kings who invaded Egypt and built the Great Pyramid, covering 12 acres, known for ages as one of the seven wonders of the world, about 2170 BC. Astronomers tell that its measurements indicate the length of the year, the weight of the earth, the distance to the sun, etc. Its interior passages represent human history. Downwards, the course of sin and death. Upwards, the law age, the gospel age, the kingdom glory of the church, and human restitution. Demigods of Greece and Egypt, long have the learned wondered what foundation Grecian mythology might have had. Now... Egyptologists have been astonished by their findings in the tombs of the pharaohs. In some of these, historic tablets have been found, tracing the ancestry of the pharaohs apparently back to creation, the first pharaoh, Adam. But these tablets show so many more generations than the Bible records, that Egyptologists lose all faith in the Genesis account. Our object is to show that this best of Egyptian records fully corroborate the Genesis account. This list of pharaohs is shorter than the others because it omits the names of gods and demigods. It is the complete Egyptian record of the purely human line of rulers back to Adam.
0: So Adam was the first pharaoh, and the Egyptian records hold a truer expanded account to help us understand what's going on in the Bible. What? This Again, what's the problem with this? Is it, He's going outside the Bible and then taking some sort of theory, whatever it is, as nifty as it is on a calculator, and then he's trying to go back to the Bible and say, well, see, that's what that really means. You're outside the scripture once again. It's called pyramidology, okay, and uh, he was guilty of that too. Now, pyramidologists, they still continue today, and they believe basically they, that there's encoded in the pyramid, Right? Uh, the Exodus of Moses, the crucifixion of Jesus, the start of World War I, the founding of modern-day Israel in 1948, uh, future events, including the beginning of Armageddon, and uh, they do it in all increments of uh, uh, the measurements there within that. So they believe, Pyramidologists, which he was one of them, that uh, you can find all these neat secrets and prediction future uh, uh, events of the future. It's the same thing that Noah's Herodomus did right, when he was scrying, which was witchcraft, right? when he was staring in that pool of water. Which is what witches do, and using hallucinogens, right? And he get visions, and he come up with his quatrains, right? Same thing, right? And, you go, and that's really what this means. And you look forward to that. Can predict the future. And this, he's doing this with the pyramid. Now, he wasn't the guy who invented this. He got it from three other guys: John Taylor. Charles Piazzi Smith and another guy, Joseph Seiss. John Taylor wrote a book in 1859 called The Great Pyramid. Why was it built and who built it? He was the first to claim that the pyramid was divinely inspired and contained a revelation that it was not built by the Egyptians, but by the Israelites, okay? And so uh, he never visited the pyramid, but the more he studied it, the more he became convinced that the architect was not Egyptian, but Israelites acting under divine orders, perhaps... Even Noah himself built the pyramid. And if you scour the internet, that baloney is still out there today. And people don't realize it's the same stuff from the old-fashioned beginning of Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. Taylor, in turn, influenced another guy called, uh, from Scotland. He was an astronomer from Scotland, a guy named Charles Piazzi Smith. He made numerous calculations about the pyramid. He published a 664-page book, Our Inheritance of the Great Pyramid, followed by another book called Life and Work in the Great uh, Pyramid. And so that was his big work that he came up with. Uh, as well. And he claimed that the measurements and all the stuff, it wasn't just interesting measurements, it was God-given measurements, right? And that that the pyramid could only have been directed by the hand of God. And he also advanced the theories that the Great Pyramid, inside are these contained secret prophecies uh, that uh, can tell the future. And he again conjectured that the Hebrew people built the Great Pyramid, except he felt it was under the leadership of Melchizedek. Okay. Then it goes to a guy named Joseph Sisek, Uh, He was a Lutheran minister, and guess where he lived? In Pennsylvania. Who also lives in Pennsylvania? Russell, right? And he was a a Lutheran minister. He got into pyramidology, and he wrote a book called A Miracle in Stone or The Great Pyramid of Egypt, 1877. And it was popular among so-called Christians. So Christians got snookered in it. Same thing going on today. Christians are still getting caught up in stuff. In 1891, it's picked up by... Uh, a Charles uh, a Russell, well, he picked it up before, but he begins to run with it. And by 1891, guess who used this pyramidology to go around the globe? This guy, Charles Taze Russell, who bought into it, and he was already disseminating his false teachings around the globe. So that's how pyramidology really got out there, was because it jumped on the bandwagon of this false teacher called Charles Taze Russell, who was using his multi-millions of dollars to reach the world. That's how it got out there. And, uh, and again, he was the one who adopted Joseph Seiss, saying that the great pyramid of Megiza was the Bible in stone. Charles Hayes Russell didn't come up with that. He got that from Seiss. Okay, but that's why. And it still continues today, right? We saw this back in the 60s. Remember, pyramid power? Huh? The triangle on your head, right? And, uh, and it wasn't just, they believed, and this is a New Age thing, right, uh, that it wasn't just the pyramid, it was just the shape of the pyramid, hence a triangle, Right, the geometric shape is supposed to have some supernatural uh, secret power. Uh, this was picked up by New Age authors, and they, they uh, said that it's got these secret uh, energies right, that the Egyptians only knew, and we need to replicate today. In fact, they said that they reported experiments using pyramidology and shapes of triangles that, quote, seeds stored in pyramid replicas germinated sooner and grew higher. Sandy paid attention trying to grow that crop. Yeah, if you can believe that. And then it gets even more New Agey because now they believe that the Great Pyramid, no, 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 it wasn't the Egyptians. No, 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 it wasn't the Hebrew people. No, 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 it wasn't Noah. No, 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 it wasn't under the orders of Melchizedek. They believe it came from the Atlanteans. And then there was another guy who got hooked up into this. His name was Manly. He was real manly. Manly P. Hall. You know who that is? That's our last topic, I believe. That's one of the big guys of Freemasonry. Freemasonry, right? The compass and the thing, the measurements. Oh, he got into this too, right, Uh, as well. And to suggest that uh, the focus on ancient Egypt wisdom schools, right? And you got on the top of the pyramid, even on the dollar, you have the capstone. Why was it a pyramid on the dollar? What's Freemasons doing? And why is it the eye of Horus from Egypt and stuff? Where'd all that go? We got to get to that one later. That's towards the very end. But he got into that stuff. Edgar Cayce, remember him? A new age, our study on that, 12 studies on that. Uh, the sleeping prophet, he got into that. And that's right. It's still going on today. Thanks to these guys called ancient astronaut theorists. Right. Don't you like that? It's like every six lines on that show, according to ancient astronaut theorists, according to ancient astronaut theorists, hey, look, this car went off the road. According to ancient astronaut theorists, look, hey, look, there's a fly over there. According to ancient, (laughs) who are these guys, right? Anyway, but whatever, now people have picked up the pyramidology, and no, it wasn't the Egyptians. No, that's right, Reed. It wasn't the Hebrew people or the Israelites. No, 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 Ron, it wasn't the Atlanteans. It's extraterrestrials. That's who, right? All this got started back way in the day with those three guys. Might have just stayed buried in a rusty uh, library shelf somewhere in their books. But here comes Charles Taze Russell with his millions of dollars disseminating his false teachings around the world. And this baloney got advanced too. Now, as we close, Russell's health became increasingly poor. The last three years lead him to his death. He became increasingly ill with uh, cystitis. Uh, that's a bladder issue. And he died on Halloween, October 31st, 1916, at the age of 64, near Pampa, Texas, while returning to Brooklyn by train. One of his associates stated, stated that at the age of 64, his body was more worn out than that of his father, who died at 89. And it's sad. This guy worked his tail off. This guy, in one aspect, was very smart with his money. That he'd been blessed with. This guy was way ahead of his time. He used the media and every means possible to disseminate across the world. What's the problem? False teacher. False gospel. Leading people to hell. That's what's so sad. And he burned his life out. Okay? And found out, guess what? Hell is real. Sad. Very sad. We need to work as hard... We need to use the same technology, but we need to be preaching the truth. He was buried in Rosemont United Cemetery in Pittsburgh. The prophet John has spoken twice tonight, right? And the gravesite is marked by a headstone. And guess what? Still to this day, oh, come on. He didn't get his stuff from pyramidology. Right next to his gravestone, still to this day, put there by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society in 1921 is a seven-foot-tall pyramid. In fact, here's a guy who went there and recorded it for us. Let's take a look. I'm here in Rosemount United Cemetery, It's on the outskirts of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And right behind me is a seven foot tall pyramid constructed by the Watchtower Society, but are known as, as the Jehovah's Witness. The reason why the Jehovah's Witness built this pyramid is because for the first 50 years of their history, from about 1879 to 1925, they believed that the study of the pyramid or pyramidology could foretell uh, predictions of the end of the world or when the world would end. Uh, they believe that the pyramid is was God's stone witness, and that God actually put in like hints in like the inches and the feet of certain uh, tunnels in the pyramids. That if you studied it with the Bible, you could predict the end of the world. Yeah, and did you guys know that if you take a look at some uh, astrology and if you take a look at some. Uh, constellations in the sky and if you take this computer program and you speed it up really fast and then if you get these plants to line up here, these plants and this over here and then somehow that's going to give you secret knowledge of a biblical passage here in Revelation 12. It, yeah, that's what's going on today with the September 23rd thing. He just did it with the pyramid. No different today. Same unfortunate false teaching principle. Anytime you get outside the scripture and then try to use that to interpret the scripture, you're always going to end up wrong. And you think that people wouldn't believe that, they still do believe it today. You think people wouldn't do that same practice, they're still doing it today and they're still falling for today, why? Because somebody has some sort of secret knowledge that everybody else of us have missed and they've got secret calculations. They've got computer programs that you don't even know how to run. And they know better. And you know what? People are being duped right and left. And you know what is happening? The world is watching all this, laughing, mocking, scoffing, You guys are a bunch of wackos. Because guess what's going to happen? I'll predict it now. What's the date today? It's the 12th. There's one thing I know for sure about September 23rd. The rapture will not happen on September 23rd because you just predicted it was. Right? And if we're still alive and still here, because the rapture could happen now, it's an imminent event. Right? We're going to be here on September 24th. And you know what should happen on September 24th, but unfortunately, I seriously doubt it will. These false teachers need to be called out on the carpet, and everybody needs to run and flee and shut them off. But I seriously doubt, unfortunately, the church will. Because you know what? The Bible. We need something new. This guy's got this cool program. No, this person's got this theory. No, look at that. You see, if you stand up and sit down with one leg and put on this new outfit, and do it on a different day, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's like we're getting duped into thinking that somehow true biblical Christianity is not good enough. It's too boring. That's a path to false teaching. Now, Lord, willing, next time we're going to get into more of the history uh, with now who followed up Russell, and that's that Judge Judgey Rutherford guy, and we're going to get into him and some of his weird behavior, and boy, he's got some too, okay? And then finally, we're going to get into more and in greater detail their false teachings, but let's go ahead. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in
1: heaven. God bless.